Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come now to this time of opening up your word, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Speak to us, Father, and draw us to Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Continuing our study in Galatians this morning, we'll be looking at verses 19 through 22 this morning. Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 22. Uh, Good things can become bad things when used uh, for the wrong purpose. For instance, drugs are good when they're used for medicinal purposes. When the doctor prescribes us uh, drugs to to help us our bodies heal, drugs are good. But drugs can be very bad when they're used to find joy. When they're used to uh, wipe away pain, to hide the pain of life. So drugs can be good when they're used for the proper purpose, but when they're used for the wrong purpose, they can be enslaving, can't they? And so it is with the law. God's law. God's law is good when it is used with the, for the proper purpose, for its proper purpose. But when we use it for the wrong purpose, it becomes very enslaving. The law is to point us to Christ, not to take us to God. So when we use the law to try to win favor with God, instead of becoming a joy, instead of becoming a good thing or being a good thing, the law becomes very bad. It becomes an enslaver. Legalists use the law of God for the wrong purpose. As we've been studying in the book of Galatians, Paul is writing to the the churches of Galatia, and he is opposing legalists, those who are using the law for the wrong purpose. They've gotten the purpose of the law all out of whack. And instead of being a a freeing thing, instead of being a, a, a gracious thing for the people of God, it has become a prison for the people of God. His aim in the book of Galatians Uh, The book of Galatians is to show that justification is indeed by faith alone and not by works of the law. And so last week, you remember, we looked at the verses prior to our verses today and we saw God's unfailing promise, his unfailing promise. And there we said that you can trust God's unfailing promise, his promise of grace for salvation. Now, we basically considered then the supremacy of the promise, God's promise to Abraham and his promise to his people over the law. And last week we said that the the promise of God, the one that he gave to Abraham, he continued to give to David and he gave into the new covenant and it's become actual through Jesus Christ. His promise is irrevocable and unchangeable. His promise is Christ-centered, based upon the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And His promise is supreme to the law. Now this week, 
we want to continue on in our study here and continue on in Paul's argument for the supremacy of the promise by considering the inferiority of the law, the inferiority of the law. And this week I want us to see that the law is inferior to God's promise as the law is meant only to drive us to Christ. Now get that. The law is inferior to God's promise as the law is meant. Its purpose is only to drive us to Jesus Christ. So I hope that we see that today. And to see that, we're going to see in Paul's uh, letter here three reasons why the law is inferior to God's promise. Three reasons why the law is inferior to God's promise. And I hope that today, as you... As you listen to this message, as you listen to the message coming from this text, that you are driven closer to Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian and you struggle with the ups and downs of your walk, I hope that from this passage you are driven closer to Jesus Christ and understand greater His wonderful, the wonderful hope that you have in Him. And if you are here today and you are seeking and you are searching, you came here because you, you have no hope in life. I hope this passage today drives you to Jesus, the only hope you have for salvation. So if you've found your place there in our text, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was, to, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of His holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may He write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Three reasons the law is inferior to the promise, God's promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. Uh, the, first, the first reason that we see here in our passage is that the law is inferior to the promise because of its purpose. The law is inferior to the promise because of its purpose. Notice again verse 19, why then the law? Paul's asking why did God even give us the law? And now he gives us the purpose. It was added because of transgressions. It was added because of sin until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. You see, the, the purpose of the law was given because of sin, because of sin in the world. And so what does the, the law do? What, why, why did God even give us the law? Why, when the, the people of Israel were there at Mount Sinai, why did God hand down to them His written code, His 
law. Well, he, he just kind of gives us this little blurb here, but Paul in other places works this out more directly and more specifically. In Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, he, he goes more into detail. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 tells us, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? Oh, by no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. So the first reason for the law is the law reveals sin. The law reveals sin. When God gave His law, His written commandment, it was to reveal sin. If we don't have the law, then how are we to know, as Paul says, how are we to know not to covet if, the, if we don't have the law telling us that it's a sin to covet? How do we know that adultery is not a sin if the law is not there to tell us it is a sin? So the law reveals sin. It shows us, it's God's standard, it's His moral law. And so it shows us what it means to sin and rebel against God. The law reveals sin. Second, the law increases sin. The second use of the law is that it increases sin. Continuing in Romans 7, starting in verse, looking at verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. You see here, sin not only reveal, or the law not only reveals sin, but it also acts to increase sin in the world, doesn't it? That's what Paul says. What did he find when, when the law said covet? What did he, his, he find? He, he found that his nature wanted to covet all the more. And that's how it is with us as, as fallen creatures, as, as fallen humanity. We long to sin against God. We don't want to follow God's law. We don't want to follow God's way. We want to do it our way, as the old Frank Sinatra song goes. We want to do it our way. And sin uh, and the law comes in to increase that desire in us, to show us how bad we truly are. Now think about this. Think about when you were a kid and, and your mama told you, now, no dessert before dinner. Now what, did, what happened when your mama said, no dessert before dinner? Those cookies laying up on the counter, they become even more enticing, didn't they? Because that's our nature. When we're told we can't do something, we want to do it even more. That's our sin nature. When God tells us, thou shalt not, it makes us want to do it even more. Oh, how depraved we are. 
So the law comes to reveal sin, and the law comes to increase sin. But the law also is a wonderful blessing as the law comes to restrain sin. The law also comes to restrain sin. And we see a piece of that here in our passage in Galatians. The law came because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. You see, God, He gave, gave us the law, He gives us the law uh, as a blessing to restrain sin within us. Because as we desire to follow God, even as Christians, as we desire to follow God, we want to seek Him, we want to, to do His his will. The law is there to restrain us from sinning. The law is there to restrain wickedness in the world. Well, think about what uh, the state would be like if it was in anarchy. If, the, if it was complete anarchy, if there were no laws to restrain us, how crooked would this world be? But the law is a wonderful grace of God. He gives it to restrain us, to hold us back. That's why He's given us the gift of government to uphold law and to keep the order within the nation. And so the law is a wonderful blessing as it reveals sin to us and it restrains sin within us. The law is holy and righteous and good as He says there in in uh, Romans chapter 7. We, don't ne we never need to lose sight of that. And as Paul goes through this letter, as he, he's defending the gospel against legalism, don't assume that the law is bad. The law is not bad. The law is the law of God. It is good and righteous and just and holy. The law is good. And it's a guide to us to help us know what it is to, to follow the will of God. But when we begin to look at the law and use it for something other than what it was intended to be used for, when we begin to look at the law and depend upon the law for salvation instead of guidance, then the law becomes an enslaver to us. The law, like unto chemotherapy to the cancer patient, the drugs that promise life for so many prove to be the agent of greater disability and death. And so it is with the law. When we take the law in and we begin to use it for something other than God intended it to be used for, instead of being a grace to us, it becomes death to us. The law is inferior to the promise of God because of its purpose. Second, the law is inferior because of its mediators. The law is inferior because of its mediators. Uh, that is plural. Not one, but many mediators. Uh, the text here tells us, looking on in verse 19 there, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Intermediary and mediary are the same, uh, same word. They the mean, mean the same thing. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. 
Now, I'll be honest, I had to spend a lot of time on this verse this week because I, I, it's just, what does that mean? The law was put into place by angels and through an, an, an intermediary. What in the world does that mean? Because we, we have the picture in our mind, those of us who are brought up in church and, and we know our scripture, we know the Old Testament, we know the story of, of Moses and Mount Sinai, we know that when the, the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt and brought to Mount Sinai, the Lord descended down upon Mount Sinai. And if you go to Exodus Exodus chapter 19, you see this all working out. Exodus chapter 19, the, the, the glory of the Lord descends down upon Mount Sinai. And there are thunders and lightnings and loud trumpets roaring. And God calls down to Moses and says, Moses, come on up here to me. And, and so that's the picture uh, that we get. God, he he calls Moses up, Moses goes up to the mountain, and it's on the mountain that God gives the law, His Ten Commandments and all the ceremonial law and all the civil law. He gives all of the law, He hands it over to Moses. But Paul says here that it was handed through angels and an intermediary. Now, what does these angels have to do with it? We don't see the angels there in that verse back in, in Exodus. So what happened? We thought, I thought, that God saw Moses and, and came down to Moses and gave it to him. But that's not what Scripture tells us. And, and we, I should have known this because if you go on over into Exodus, Moses, he wants to see God. And he asked, God, can I, I see your glory? I want to just see your glory. And God tells Moses, no, you cannot see me for the day a man sees me, he will surely die. And so Moses could not see God face to face because he was a sinful human being. And so God was gracious to Moses, and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in this cliff on the rock, and I'm going to cover you up with my hand, and I'm going to pass by, and then after I've passed by, I'll remove my hand, and you can see my backside. And that's the best I can do for you, Moses. So Moses could not see God face to face. So how did he get the law then? It was passed down through angels. Psalm 68, verse 17 kind of indicates this a little bit. Uh, Psalm 68, verse 17 says, The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. Here, this passage in the Psalm, Psalm 68, alludes to the fact that that there with God on Mount Sinai were a host of angels, thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands. They were there. And I can't help but wondering if the, the thunder, the rumble of the thunder and the lightnings that the people of Israel heard as God descended down upon Mount Sinai, if that were, was not the rolling of the chariots of the angels settling down upon Mount Sinai. They were there with God. His, his host of angels were there with Him on Mount Sinai. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 tells us again, actually uh, 2 through 3, For since the message, that is the law, declared by angels proved to be, a re be reliable, 
and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect a great, such a great salvation? There again, the writer of Hebrews says that the law, the message that was declared, that is the law, the law that proved to be reliable and revealed uh, transgressions and disobedience, as it proved to be reliable, how much more shall we escape if we neglect the gospel, the great salvation that is revealed to us in the gospel? So it is that there on Mount Sinai, I don't understand it all, but there on Mount Sinai, the law was passed down to Moses from angels. It came from the hand of the Lord, but it was passed through angels. Not only was it passed through angels, but then Moses received it. He's the intermediary. He's the other mediator. The angels being one mediator. Now Moses is another mediator. The angels representing God and Moses representing mankind. Moses was the mediator for mankind and he received the message. He received the law from the hands of the angels and then passed it on to mankind. That's what a mediator does. A mediator is, uh, well, a lawyer is a mediator. A lawyer is a mediator. If you go to court and, and you, you hire a lawyer, you hire a lawyer to be your mediator, to be the mediator between you and the judge. And that's what the angels and Moses serve. The angels serving to be a mediator between God to man and Moses being the mediator representing man going to God for, on behalf of man. And so Moses then receives the law from the angels. And so the, the law comes indirectly. The law is given indirectly. It's not passed straight from God to mankind, but it goes through intermediaries. It goes through the angels and it goes through Moses before it then gets to us. But the promise is not like the law. The promise comes direct from God. That's why he says there at the end of that verse, uh, at verse 19, at the end of verse 19, or excuse me, verse 20, at the end of verse 20, but God is one. You see, the promise, it's not like the law. The promise, it comes from God. It comes from God Himself. We see this in John, John chapter 1, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Now the Word we know is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then down in verse 14 of chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only, Fa only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So while the, the law came through intermediaries, the promise came directly from God. Because the Word, who was God and is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. 
The Word came directly to mankind. There's no intermediator. It's between man and God. Now Jesus Christ comes into the world. God in human flesh. God incarnate. He steps out of glory and He comes to fulfill the promise that God gave, by the way, directly to Abraham when He met him in Ur of the Chaldeans. You see, the law is inferior to the promise because the law came through mediators while the promise came, became straight, came straight to mankind from God. Now think about that. Think about if you wrote the president a letter. You wrote the president a letter and, and, and you're, you're telling him, you're pouring out your heart to him about a problem that you see. Now, if the president writes you back, that's, a, that's an impressive thing. We would probably frame that. But what if the president came to your house and met with you in person? Which, which indicates the greatest of importance? The letter coming by the mail carrier or the in-person visit? God did not send a letter for the promise. He sent His Son, God in the flesh, who came to us and fulfilled the promise by going to Calvary's cross and dying on that cross for our sins so that we might have eternal life with God. Oh, how supreme the promise is over the law as the promise comes straight from God in, in the flesh. The law is inferior to the promise because its mediators are inferior. But the promise is supreme. It is superior because its mediator is God incarnate, Jesus Christ. So the law is inferior to the promise because of its purpose, and because of its mediators. Third, the law is inferior because of its accomplishment. The law is inferior because of its accomplishment, what it accomplishes. What does the law accomplish? Look there in verses 21 through 22. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Well, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Now I want you to think about that for a second. Just think about that. Because the idea today, and this is a, a common this is a common belief in the world today. The common belief today is that there are many ways to God, right? And that Christianity, that Jesus Christ, He's one way among many ways. But Paul says, if a law had been given that could bring righteousness, if a law had been given that could justify us before God, that could save us, then why did it God send His Son Jesus to die on the cross? I want you to really think about that. If there are many ways to God, 
besides God sending His only Son to die sacrificially on a cross, do you think God would send His Son to die on a cross? If there had been any other way, God would have gone those other ways and He would not have sent His Son. If salvation could have come through the law, if it could have come through Buddhism, if it could have come through anything else, God would not have sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die, to give His very life on Calvary's cross, to receive the full penalty of our death, of our sin, to die the most horrible death, to feel the weight of our guilt and shame. He would not have sent Him to go through that. He would not have sent Him to go through such torture if there had been any other way. There is no other way but through Jesus. There is no law that could ever be given. Ever be given. That could save us. But salvation is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So what does the law accomplish? What does the law accomplish? But the Scriptures imprisoned everything under sin. That is the law, right? The law that is preserved for us in Scripture. The Scriptures imprison everything under sin. That's what the law does. It imprisons everyone. The law imprisons us. It shows us our sin. It shows us what it means to disobey God. And we find that when, when we have the law, it just drives us to sin all the more. And it imprisons us. It shows us the depths of our depravity. And it shows us what we deserve because of our sin and our rebellion against the Holy God. Furthermore, when we begin to to think about sin and we, we use it for something other than it was purposed to be used, right? When we use it for something other than its purpose, right? The law, it, it's, it's a good thing. It's a holy thing. It's a right thing. It's a righteous thing. It's good. It's meant to, to protect us, right? It's meant to protect us. But what happens when we begin to, to use that wall of pr protection that God has given us in the law when we begin to use it for a means of salvation, what happens? That, that wall of protection becomes a concrete wall of, en of enslavement. A wall equipped with razor, uh, razor wire along the top. It entraps us, it enslaves us, and it takes us to the judgment that we deserve before God. The law is meant to enslave. It accomplishes enslavement. That's what it accomplishes. When we trust in the law, hope in the law for salvation, it enslaves us. Yet, the law is also meant to drive us to Christ. The law is meant to drive us to Christ as we look at the law and we see that we cannot save ourselves through the law. Then the law is meant to drive us to Jesus Christ so that, look at verse 22, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. 
The Scriptures imprison everyone under the law for this purpose, so that it would drive us to Jesus, drive us to look for Jesus. When we see that we cannot save ourselves, the law drives us to look for the other way, the only way. It drives us to look to Jesus Christ. Oh, dear friend, are you looking to Jesus today? Martin Luther once said, the principal point of the law is to make men not better, but worse. That is to say, it showeth unto them their sin, that by the knowledge thereof they may be humbled, terrified, bruised and broken, and by this means may be driven to seek grace. And so to come to that blessed seed, Jesus Christ. Have you been humbled by the law? Have you been humbled? Have you been brought down to your knees? Have you been driven to Jesus? The law can never accomplish salvation. It only imprisons and drives us to Jesus Christ. The law is inferior to the promise of God because of its purpose, its mediators, and because of what it accomplishes. Therefore, my dear friend, turn today, turn to God's promise, turn to Jesus Christ. Turn to Jesus. The law is holy and righteous and good. We should love the law and use it for its intended purpose as it reveals sin to us, as it, as it uh, restrains us from sin. But we can never, must never, use it as a means for salvation because it will fail us. Dear Christian, today, praise God. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ for providing a way outside of the law. Thank Him for giving us the law so that we could see our desperate need for Jesus. And praise God for the salvation that we have by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But dear friend, if you're here today, and you came here today, you're looking, you're searching, you're trying to find, you know something is wrong, you know something is missing in your life. Maybe you've been trying to, to live according to God's law. Thinking, well, if I can just do enough good, God will love me. You can never do enough good because every good deed that you could ever do is still marred by sin. But God loved you despite your sin. And even while you're a sinner, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on Calvary's cross in your place. Receiving the full penalty for your sin. And in His death, burial, and then in His resurrection, He promises you eternal life. By clothing you, not in your good deeds, but in Christ's good deeds. And how do you gain that? By trusting in Jesus. That's it. Turn away from trying to, to do things your own way. Turn away from trying to save yourself by doing good deeds and turn to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And God will save you. Oh, Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we thank you for the law. For truly, how would we know what sin is if you had not sent the law to show us sin, to reveal it to us, and even to show us how it just drives us more and more to to sin more. It reveals the, the depths of the depravity that our nature is marred by. Thank you for the law. And greater still, thank you for Jesus Christ. The way unto salvation for all who believe. Lord, may we trust in Him. May each person here today trust in Jesus and surrender to Him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.